Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus be gumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Whew, my goodness me, what a weekend of playoff football. I think one of my favourite weekends of playoff football that I can remember. It had absolutely everything. Upset specials, one of the most crackers games you will ever see in any sport, let alone the NFL. Ruthless performances, superstars stepping up. We will get into it all. With comedian and friend of the show, Tom Deacon, dropping by very, very soon. And then, if that's not enough, there is the small matter of the college championship taking place tonight, Monday night, in the States. <laughs> Where else would it be? In Japan. It's in the States. It is a huge game. And our college expert, Ben Isaacs, is on hand to get you set for it. And then Ben will be back on Wednesday. Me and I, Mike, on the Deep Dive Show to let you know how it all went down. LSU Clemson is the college game. Ben's coming up a little bit later on to preview that. But first up, it's all NFL, and it's all Tom Deacon. Tom Deacon as I live and breathe. Here we are. Here you are with your beloved 49ers, one game away from the Super Bowl, my friend. I cannot believe it. Um, Nat, it's a delight, a pleasure as always to to be in your company talking about how good those 49ers are and that they really are the real deal. And all Niners fans are coming out of the... Uh, of, of well, like the darkness that we've been in for years and, and now are able to celebrate. And it's just one more win against the Green Bay Packers, which we've already done this year. And um, we could be in the Super Bowl. We've done them this year already. I love that. I love that. <laughs> football beats football talk. The uh, So many things to, to think about there. First of all, uh, you were telling me uh, earlier on where you're watching the game. And, and I love that. Definitely one of the most rock and roll places to be watching the game. Uh, coming off stage at the comedy store on Saturday night, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, very, very cool. Where people are watching games and all 49ers fans all around the world, you know, tuning in and, and where the strangest place that you've watched the game is. I was working last January uh, on location doing something uh, like a live sports event last January when some of the playoffs were on. So it was a case of when I finished my links on air, would be sneaking down to where my tablet was to be watching as much as I could before I had to do my next link or my next bit of live <laughs> live tennis. So that was probably the most left field I had. What about you? What's the craziest place or the most left field place you've watched a game? Uh, well, I mean, it, it has to be... Um, at the, uh, well, it, I'm going to say the comedy store because that happened for the Vikings-Niners game uh, this this weekend just been. I, I was at the comedy store, haven't been there for a while, so the pressure's on. You've, you've got to deliver. You get 20 minutes on stage. and um, Saturday paid, night as well is a frisky old gig, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, it's frisky. People have paid good money. You have to deliver. But my mind was slightly elsewhere <laughs> for this game. <laughs> so once I'd done the longest 20 minutes of my life, it felt like, went backstage. There's another fellow comic called Scott Capurro. He's fantastic. He's from San Francisco. Francisco. He didn't know the game was on, but I quickly put the uh, NFL jersey on of Joe Montana and started to watch the game. And then to which point he he didn't care too much about the game, but he was like, oh my God, I've worked with uh, Joe Montana, but I didn't know who he was. So that really, (laughs) really made me giggle. Um, Probably there, and I I suppose a lot of fans uh, who love our NFL uh, will probably be at work at some point and we just Mm -hmm. need to check on the score. So sometimes you get to watch it. Sometimes it's just quick look on the mobile phone and find out the score. But that that probably is the most fun one because we were winning as well. Yeah, what a game for the 49ers. It went absolutely according to plan, didn't it? Because there was, I guess, an element of doubt with the way that the Vikings were. It was that double whammy of coming into the game as heavy underdogs, so kind of a, a free hit really for them. 
and the mojo that they had because they they turned over the Saints. They'd done the Saints the, the week before. So that, that, were you a little bit concerned going into it or did it play out as you expected? Um, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about those Vikings. They did such a good job against Drew Brees. Um, however, uh, it didn't stick with their game plan because the, the Niners' only weakness is occasionally, and I say this occasionally, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo being asked to throw the football too much. So they just ran the football. That's what they did. They've never run the football in a postseason game as much as they did against the Vikings. They took an early lead. And never look back. And 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 what they did do as well up front defensively was was stop Dalvin Cook. I mean, he had the worst numbers I think he's had all season. Um, and at that point, when I realised that we were just going to run the football and our defence was so dominant, getting sacks on um, Kirk Cousins, I, I, it was never in doubt. But going into that game, I thought, oh, it's typically it's going to be the sixth seed in the NFC going to get a win against the Niners. Yeah, you essentially got what Shanahan said afterwards about that. Uh, we had a goal going into the game. We thought the team that got over 30 runs would win it. Uh, we truly look at that as a team goal. We ended up getting 47 on offense. They got <laughs> 49ers. I mean, look at the areas that you completely dominated. So total yardage on the ground, 186. That was uh, more than the entire Vikings offense, <laughs> right? Uh, Tevin Coleman, what a game. He had two scores and over 100 yards. Mostert, you mentioned as well, got, got in the mix. Time of possession, always uh, typically quite critical. 38-27 plays 21-33 and uh, holding the Vikings to just two of 12 on third down conversion. So all around, it was a really, really fluent uh, performance. Richard Sherman stepping up as well, who we all love, right? Uh, I think all neutrals love because he is one of the larger, uh, larger than life characters in the NFL, still playing at an absolutely elite level and balling again against the Vikings. And after that, that critical pick, Echoing, I think, uh, what many of us were probably thinking after Kirk Cousins had reprised his, you like that uh, line <laughs> after the Viking Saints win, uh, Sherman just went straight down the barrel of the camera. I like that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> love it. Which, if it's not a gif or a meme or both right now, it absolutely should be. So I'm going to try and find that. But terrific stuff from uh, Sherman. Uh, and all in all, I think uh, the only, I guess, question marks were couple of shaky moments from Jimmy G. I mean, and you know, I like Jimmy G, but there are a couple of wavy throws in the mix, which kind of keep, keeps, you know, keeps your mind fresh as to he might roll one of those out against the Packers, but not too much default really, was there? No, not at all. Um, Jimmy G does exactly what he needs to, uh, to do. Um, and it, and it, and I know what you mean when you look at Jimmy G, and, and I know Niners fans are doing it as well. We're thinking there's an interception in him at any point, and he's been very consistent. Shaky start at the beginning of the season, ironed that out. And in this game, let's not forget, and I think give credit to the Vikings, um, the linebackers that they they have were just just trying to just second guess where he was going to try and uh, generate something in that game, and they managed to get that pick off him. However, what I love about it is Kyle Shanahan and every good head coach does it, protect your quarterback. The Titans, and we're going to talk about very shortly, they game-managed Tannehill. Don't ask too much of him. When Jimmy G does have to deliver, and he has done it in previous games, especially against the Seahawks in, the, in Week 17, he can deliver. Um, and, and that's the beauty of this team, and that's why they're so dangerous. And if they're not everybody's uh, pick to win the Super Bowl this year, then um, what are you playing at? What are you playing at? <laughs> Who would you rather be playing in? The Packers, the better matchup be than the Seahawks, do you think, in, in the championship game? Um, part of me, we've won and we, obviously we've beaten them twice uh, this season. Um, so, uh, correction, let me correct that. Uh, very close to beating them twice. Uh, you know, we failed and won, but who's counting that one? Um, I would have loved to have... <laughs> defeated them twice a year but um but I feel like this Green Bay Packers it's going to be a more exciting game and and what a revival for Aaron Rodgers the guy that the Niners could have picked up in the 2005 draft but they went for Alex Smith instead it, it it's written for the neutrals and and I can't wait to see the Niners hopefully fingers crossed beat the Packers again do you think the 49ers the favorites to win the whole thing now um yeah I, I think overall defensively Incredibly solid. We've got a great running game. Um, you mentioned Tevin Coleman had a, had a, a very, very strong game in this one, getting a, a touchdown uh, or two. And most start as well, another fantastic uh, running back who also plays special teams that then managed to get that turnover towards the end of the game for another field goal for the Niners. 
they're just rolling with Matt Brader as well and George Kittle. He wasn't asked to do too much in this game. Um, and Kendrick Bourne, we've got, of course, Sanders as well. It's just stacked. Kendrick Bourne is clutch, isn't it? Uh, oh. Isn't it? What a player. I mean, you are, yeah, you are absolutely stacked. And Shanahan, uh, clearly, uh, avoiding what some head coaches were suffering through a lot of this uh, divisional weekend. The wrath of Twitter. We'll talk about Andy, Andy Reid. Poor Andy Reid. Poor, poor Bill O'Brien, who uh, uh, ended up on, on, I think, the worst of it. But the first quarter of the remarkable game between the Texans and the Chiefs that we'll get into in a moment, Andy Reid was getting pelters on Twitter. But uh, had the last laugh, I think. But Shanahan kept his powder dry there. Everybody loves Shanahan. And uh, uh, and you can understand understand why. In terms of... The, I guess the, the danger of, or the pressure of maybe is a better way of describing it, that, you, that a team that is expected to go all the way. We saw that with the Ravens firsthand. The pressure w- was clearly showing to many, uh, degrees it was showing with the Chiefs as well, who were such heavy favorites in their a game against the, the Texans and it came good in the end. But the way that the first quarter went down for them, you gotta think that a lot of that was just to do with the self-consciousness of pressure that, you know, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the Super Bowl. And it's something not to be underestimated, isn't it, Tom? The importance of the Super Bowl for these guys who, look, in any sport you want to reach the pinnacle if you're a pro, um, unless you're Jay Cutler, <laughs> and then you're not really bothered. And in in the NFL, there's something really mythical and, and quite spiritual about the Super Bowl. It's been, you know, from these guys have been playing football since they were five, six years old. And you hear them talk about it, just getting to one, let alone winning one, is this uh, this mystical end game. So when it is tantalizingly close, you can understand why uh, why the pressure really starts to mount in their heads. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, like you say, it's it's not just of the NFL, but as we're talking about this, it, it comes down to the Super Bowl. Every every player gets to the Super Bowl. That's an incredible achievement. You know, you start with 32 teams. Um, you've got 31 opposition teams and you try and get there massive kudos you've 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 it's a lifetime achievement but i feel like it's even then when they get to the super bowl it's how crushing you are within reaching distance uh of of the title would you rather get would you rather get to a super bowl and lose or never get to a super bowl i well what what would you like 10 years from now when your career's finished and you think i was at the super bowl but maybe i just couldn't do enough on that day or would you have rather gone out of the championship game uh and be like Oh well, at least at least I I don't know how close yeah. I could have. I if could I'd have been, been there, I would have done it. I would. Yeah, have, yeah. I, I would have. I don't know what I would have done. I would have come back in, even with concussion. I would have run <laughs> back on, and I would have changed the game. It, it, I, I don't I know. I could have gone to. I could have gone to Oxford or Cambridge if I wanted to. I just. Uh, I just. <laughs> just <laughs> of I, course, TV's fun. Even tidying up when you're trying to do an essay. I mean, I could have done so much better <laughs> at university if if I didn't decide suddenly I need to do the most boring jobs because they're more important. <laughs> when I had an essay assignment date, yeah, I think definitely make it to the Super Bowl and and lose, supposed to never never have got there. I think so. I think so. I'd be it. We're going to fire that one out on on social. I make look. I'm making a note of it now, and I'm checking it twice. I'm going to let uh, Alex and the crew know. We're going to push that one out at the NC show. Let us know what you think. Would you rather have made it to a Super Bowl and lost it, or never never made it at all? And what if and uh, kept the the imaginary uh, dream alive? Well. Within one game of making it so odd, I want to go next to the absolute belter between the Chiefs and the Texans. I think, and I've seen a few, I think that is the craziest, I mean, definitely the craziest first quarter of football I've ever seen, right? And uh, I think probably all in all, a top three crazy games. And top 10 great games, I'd say. Top three crazy games, definitely. And the first quarter, uh, I mean, what what on earth? Do we make of that? And I mentioned Bill O'Brien, Tom, getting the majority of the criticism. And if you're not sure what we're talking about here, where the hell, hell have you been? What have you been doing for the last 24 hours? But the Texans, 24 nothing up. And Bill O'Brien, having taken a chip shot field goal as opposed to going for it on fourth down when they were 21 zip up, decides to go for a fake punt in his own territory and blows it, hands the energy and the momentum back to the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, they never looked back. So Bill O'Brien is, has suffered so much that people are suggesting that he might get fired as a result, although I've noticed that Sean Watson has come out and said, no, no, stick with him, he's our guy. And I reckon that's going to count for, for quite a lot. 
my God, what was Bernard Bryan thinking? Try I mean, and explain it for us, John. I mean, yes. Where do you begin to explain uh, the fourth highest <laughs> scoring uh, game in postseason history? Where, where do you begin to explain it? Um, 51 uh, winners, the Chiefs over the Texans, 31. Like you say, Nat, 24 uh, nothing up into the second quarter. And then that preceded the biggest comeback uh, tied for fourth, actually. Um, Bill O'Brien, on that, you mentioned the fourth and one. It just seemed like he didn't know when to go for a fourth and one and when not to. You mentioned that fake punt. Shouldn't have gone for it on your own 31. Then there was a moment when the Kansas City Chiefs defense was on the absolute ropes and they seemed underprepared. And I think that's why people are questioning Bill O'Brien. When you're in the red zone, you need one yard. He apparently didn't have a play that they liked <laughs> to go for. In the red zone, four for one, that says to me, you're underprepared. And, and even when they asked him, they said, you know, um, why, do you, why should you be sticking around as the head coach? Do you think you've done enough? He says, they're, they're running in the right direction and, and we just have to coach better. But I mean, you're that close. They were there for the taking and you've let that slip. Something like six unanswered touchdowns by the Chiefs before the, the, the Texans were able to do anything. That, that says to me, a, a guy that in the big moments in postseason, not able to do it. Now that's not me saying, I think he's a bad head coach. He's, he's managed to get them there. Uh, they've had four AFC South titles in the six years he's been there, but it does make people question, is he the right man to take us to the next level? It was absolutely right to, to say it's, it was baffling in, in the way that he didn't go for it when he could have put the game to bed, almost certainly. If they'd scored then, I think that, that would have been it, right? Mm. And maybe he was second-guessing himself. We were talking about this. We were doing that game on air, and we were all talking about that, and it was maybe it is on his mind and he thought, Oh damn, maybe I should have been gutsy. Oh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do it here. And, and you kind of get it. And, and then we talked about the pressure getting to players, understandably the psychologically. And that was clearly something awry with the, with the chiefs in the first quarter outside of how well the Texans were playing, how badly the, the chiefs are playing and notably Travis Kelsey on their first drive, dropping the ball. And there were drops of plenty everywhere. The special teams meltdown twice. Like all of these different things were going on. The jitters were, uh, were, were, clearly apparent on the Chiefs side is he going to get why they're in nerves but I, I can understand as well you know head coach is a human and they were in control he must you must be standing there Tom when you know in the second quarter and you're you're 24 nothing up but you're all over them to yeah. be but not they weren't even I mean everything you're doing offensively is working they're not putting anything together defensively you must be the guy I'm, I'm there now with there's no way there's well, they, no way we're messing this up well, this is what I mean, that it, it, they were there for the taking. Kansas City Chiefs were on the ropes. My WhatsApp was popping off. I've never seen so much activity. Uh, a group of guys that I know that love their uh, NFL. That they, they're not Poro is in that group. He, he, he was in that group as well. He was like, I've worked time. with uh, Deshaun Watson. <laughs> um, but basically... Um, we're, we're, I've got to play for Bill O'Brien. <laughs> and by the way, if you've never seen Scott Capro, it that is a fantastic impression. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, that's Your, not yours important. Yours or mine. Oh, both of us. No, Double check my video. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Bill O'Brien in that moment, they're there for the, for the taking. You have to, you have to, you have to see them off. And, and I know it's easy in hindsight and 2020 vision and everything. It's easy to criticize, but I think you're right. Bill O'Brien is only human. He made that mistake the first time around and then thinks, I know what I'll do. We'll go for it. Uh, I like the look of this fake punt. <laughs> I like the look yeah, of it at yeah, four from one. Yeah. This will work. And it doesn't. And then it begins to unravel and it, and it is a game of confidence. And at that point then, I mean, Travis Kelsey, you know, 10 receptions, 134 yards, three touchdowns, the first player in history with three reception touchdowns in one quarter. At that point, there was wow. no, no stopping them. And, and that's why the Kansas City Chiefs, that's the Chiefs that we remember and, and love Andy yeah. Reid for is that high octane explosive offense. He's, I'll, I'll definitely want to get into Andy Reid, but here's the, here's the thing, the, the final word from me anyway on, on Bill O'Brien. If he'd gone for it on fourth down and failed and then gone for the fake punt, I'd, I'd love that. I would have no problem with that at all. And, and you know, fell on his sword and crazy wild gambling, and it, but it all went wrong. But it's the fact that he, he, you know, he didn't go for it on fourth down and play conservative. Okay, fine, smart play, and then did that. It, it's like it takes I still have respect for him for doing it. At least he had the guts to make the plan. Mm. I know Texans fans listening will be probably shouting at whatever device they're listening to this on saying, <laughs> come on, but I, I, you know, I'd rather somebody 
uh, did that in, in a playoff game, just They're went not. for it and gambled, then I think, I think I would. But at the same time, and this has been a narrative, I think, certainly the last two years, particularly this year, and when we get onto the Ravens-Titans game, it will come up. Unnecessarily going for things, I think, is becoming an issue in the NFL. And, you know, the Ravens, too many times, I think, went for it on fourth down and it didn't play out. And they, when they could have got simple points on the board, the best kicker in the game. And I think at the moment, it's an issue that needs to get resolved. I know that there are statistics in the book and everything else. I, I get that, that the analytics guys are saying, you know, probability-wise, go for it. And then you factor in, we're in the passing era of the NFL, a freewheeling high-scoring era. You know the opposition are going to be, to the most part, putting up points on you. So I, I get all of the logic. It all makes sense. And, and like I said, I like, I like a coach that gambles, but maybe not every, maybe not every single time. Uh, Andy Reid, right? So Reid was, as I say, getting destroyed by everyone in that first quarter. Where do you stand on this? Because there was real discussion on radio between us all, both on air and off, right? Ollie, uh, Ollie Thornton, uh, was very much in the camp as I think pretty much everyone except me <laughs> was in the camp that Andy Reid was, uh, accountable for what happened in, in the first quarter for the Chiefs. I completely disagree with that, that I, the majority, well, to the most part, there were things like uh, putting Tyreek Hill in for the return, when, mm. uh, uh, which is on Reed for sure. Though you know, you can see the the counter argument to that as well. I could get there are certain things that were in his control, but generally speaking, everything that was going wrong in the first quarter were his players messing up. How on earth is that on Andy Reid? Uh, it, it can't be on Andy Reid. It's the same with JJ uh, Watt. There was a few uh, memes uh, and tweets going around about just wait until those wide receivers get back into the locker room and have to face JJ Watt for some of the drops that they had. Um, yeah. Andy Reid, um, yeah, you could say it's his fault. He's calling the plays. But let's not forget Tyreek Hill has been incredible all year. That The man is an abundance of talent and speed. Why would you not put him in there to, to do the return? Um Andy Reid, obviously, though, and this is, I think is quite interesting. We're talking about that comeback for the, uh, for the Chiefs, um, 24, nothing down. Mm. Uh, the second highest comeback was 28 points. Um, and that was Andy Reid losing that game. That was the 2013 AFC wildcard against Indianapolis, 45, 44. So Andy Reid knows what it feels like <laughs> to, yeah. to have that situation. And I imagine he was having a moment in his head is like, maybe if I can just get it to 30, then I will become the number one comeback. <laughs> that, that <guy's. laughs> so maybe, maybe I, I like him. I, it, it, you can put a lot on the head coach, but then the players have to execute those plays out there. And, um, and you know how talented they are. I think they let him down a bit, but hey, it doesn't matter now. We look at the 51-31 score and, and know that the Chiefs are rolling. Yeah, big time. I think the, uh, unsurprisingly, I, I agree with that. And I think the, the guys were saying that, well, the players aren't prepared for the game. And clearly it was so uh, uncharacteristic for any professional team, but for a team as good as the Chiefs, it was amongst the, the worst quarters of football which is also amazing, right? So you've had three of the best quarters of football you'll see a team play <laughs> after the what pretty much the worst quarter of, you'll see any team play, let alone the Chiefs. That's on the coach. And that's what Ollie and, the, and Greg Brady and the guys were saying is that, uh, it was, you know, on Andy Reid to have his players ready, particularly at the start of the game. And so the reason that these things were happening, uh, were, were primarily on Reid. The other guy that is really a big sigh of relief is, Dave Tube, or it could be Dave Taub, I think, and then we've got clarity on this, uh, T-O-U-B anyway, who is the Kansas City uh, special teams coach. <laughs> he, yeah. was having, he was having quite a bad day at the office until, well, until think, Mahomes and co got him out of jail. Well, I think what it is, is um, once you leave the locker room, it's really difficult to run all the way back. Um, and I think he'd left a, a fair few of his notes <laughs> back in the locker room. Is that what happened? Yeah, so it's just a little couple of post-it notes uh, that he was writing plays on. Um, so, um, uh, and and what a turnaround for for their special teams towards the end. They were suffocating the Texans um, on on their returns and everything. So, actually, I think you get this quarter out of the way. Uh, you can point the finger at whoever it was, but it doesn't matter now. Their next game, um, which they'll be taking on the Titans, that they can they can eradicate that and make sure that doesn't happen again. And and I mean, they haven't. The, 
the Chiefs haven't been in this position, was it 50 years or something? A ridiculous stat. So uh, all the jitters, all those nerves can go out the window now. They've dominated the Texans, played the best three quarters um, that they have done maybe all season. And and uh, now they're probably the number two favourite uh, to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I'll give the final word on, on this game to Deshaun Watson, who spoke with ESPN Sarah Barshop mm. after the game. Uh, and said, there's no doubt, talking about O'Brien. I mean, you might have doubt, said Watson, but there's no doubt. I love that man. I'm going to play hard for that man. You could say whatever you want to say through all the media and all the writing, but as long as I'm the quarterback, he's cool with me. What What a guy, just coming out and standing up for his head coach. I love Deshaun Watson. I I love Deshaun Watson. And when I say this, it's not because I'm saying it sarcastically or or, um, maliciously, but Deshaun Watson is eligible for a new deal this offseason. So I feel like (laughs) he's done fantastically well to just say, hey, I I support anybody in the building. I am the Texans through and through. Um, I'd like that $140 million for four years. Thank you (laughs) very much. Side here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you cynic. You cynic. Uh, he is eligible for a big deal. That is true. Uh, as indeed is um, Patrick Mahomes. So that was a story that broke just before this game, actually, that Ian Rappaport of NFL Network suggesting that uh, Mahomes is going to become the best play player in football. Mm. Uh, and I think described the deal as mammoth and cited the fact that that is going to create a knock-on effect. So Watson, as you say, They'll wait for Mahomes. Watson's agent will wait for Mahomes to get that deal done and then, <laughs> and yeah. then step forward, uh, with, uh, their suggestion of what a Watson should get. But he, but he deserves it. Uh, no doubt about that. And there is that they'll be back, the Houston Texans, but it is the Chiefs that roll on and they roll on and improbably play the Tennessee Titans in the championship game because Tennessee 10 point underdogs against Baltimore pulled off, you know, one of the upsets, I think, of modern playoff football is uh, not overstating it to say that. Uh, and it wasn't just the fact that they won the game, Tom. It was how comprehensively they won the game. After it, Marlon Humphrey of the Ravens, hell, hell of a player, said in the, when he was quite emotional after the loss, said that they choked, that the Ravens choked. And then he stood by that the next day in cold light of day. He was asked again. He said, yeah, 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 we, we choked. That's what, that's what happened, which was interesting to hear a player be so forthright and, and unequivocal and, um, do you think that is what happened? Do you think that they froze in the glare of the lights? I mean, clearly they didn't play anything remotely resembling how they played for the majority of the season. And, and uh, Lamar Jackson quite notably uh, turned over the ball a number of times. And uh, although the, in the end, the numbers and the stats look like he had a strong game, he wasn't uh, as, as complete as, as he has been and he could have been after this brilliant season. So do you think that he was representative of a lot of the Ravens here, that, that they choked? Or do you think that the Titans absolutely played a, a, a perfect game for them? Um, I, I think it's the latter, uh, Nat. And um, my comedy brain was holding back there when you said uh, that they they choked as a team and he was so vocal about it. That didn't add up. Uh, <laughs> choking and being vocal about it. Um, well, but yeah, I, I, they gave him a glass of water and he was, uh, <laughs> he was okay. Water, he was fine. Yeah. And have, have a little sit down. You'll be all right in a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Ravens have a game plan and 14 and two all year um, in terms of results. First in the AFC North, they love, to get going, get an early lead and then run the football. And um, the Titans look prepared for that. The Ravens knew about Derek Henry. I don't know if you've heard of him, a fantastic player, um, even throwing a touchdown in the game. They knew about the dangers of the Titans. And, and I don't think that we, I mean, beforehand, I would have said that they were the number one team to beat. They're just so dominant and they have been all season. So that there must've been something that, that didn't add up for them. And I don't think it's the fact that, they rested. What, what do they say in the NFL? It's rest or rust. I don't think it was yeah. rust that was happening with that team. I think, I think that's a good idea uh, or a statement for them. They, they choked and especially they choked when their game plan, uh, uh, wasn't there for them. Yeah. Lamar Jackson threw that interception early on and they had to, had to get back into the game and ask Lamar Jackson to do more than maybe he was able to on the night. So yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I think, I think they did choke. But that's nothing to take away from how well the Titans played. Yeah, I mean, they uh, we knew they were a team with swagger going into into the playoffs. And uh, it's obviously partly how they're playing, Tom, you know, with led by Derek Henry, who is just such 
literally an explosive figure. He literally explodes. <laughs> he's, he's a, uh, such a dynamic player. And How are you going to catch air, Nat? If someone's exploded and it's just fragments of air, you believe. cannot... You that's can't the tackle your, that. That's the end of your playoff run. When that's, <laughs> I mean, how many cleats does he get through? <laughs> <laughs> His feet were exploding through the Ravens' defense. The um, the everyone knew that was everyone knew that was going to be the plan. You're going to give him give him the rock, and got to try and stop him. And lots of people were citing, well, you know, uh, if the the Belichick game plan the week before, which was kind of different from Belichick. Normally, he would take out the number one weapon and force you to beat him a different way Henry had a big game against the Patriots uh, uh, and they still got the game done but people were saying well you look at a big game had over I haven't got it in front of me but uh, you know uh, over 100 yards a uh, big game against the Patriots in Foxborough but yet then he put up 14 points and there was thinking that well okay even if Henry goes off against the Ravens have they got enough else going on and they demonstrated they absolutely did but all of that is still predicated on the idea that Derek Henry is going to be coming at us 195 yards, 218 they allowed on the ground, 195 yards to Henry. Just couldn't stop him, even though, you know, he's coming. It'll be interesting to see what happens against the Chiefs, because in the first quarter against the Texans, Houston were running through them as mm. easy as you like. Now, uh, Chris Jones wasn't playing, right, which was a, a big omission uh, for them, uh, for the Chiefs, of course, and, and could well be fit for, for the championship game. And that will make a difference, right? And that was one of the reasons why the Texans were fighting it so easy. But that is going to be interesting, isn't it? The Titans up against this Chiefs defense that you can run on and everyone else seems to try and stop Derek Henry at the moment and can't. And whether that is going to be enough to get the job done when you know that quite probably Mahomes and Co are going to have, if not an identical day to the one against the Texans, they're going to be putting up quite a lot of points on you. Indeed. Um, well, the Chiefs, we know how good they're offenses and had defensively you know let's not forget they did let 31 points go against Deshaun Watson Tannehill was a completely different quarterback um and he's asked not to do too much he didn't even get 100 yards in that game and yet mm. got two touchdowns uh one was on that um uh, uh the, the turnover well basically they had it uh in the the end zone for, for the of the Ravens because of that turnover or they went for it on fourth and one I believe another get a Calling back to your four from one uh, attempts, uh, yeah. that was in the second quarter actually, um, and it ends yeah. with uh, a, a fantastic uh, touchdown. So the thing is with Derek Henry, and some people will say you don't have to worry about him too much because he has run for 195 yards in that game. Previously 182, the one before that was 211. His legs will be tired. You do not have to worry about <laughs> Derek Henry. What you do have to worry about is the fact that. Tannehill likes to run with the football as well. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Derek Henry uh, became the first running back since 1987 in the postseason to throw a touchdown. Um, what the <laughs> Titans do is they seem to just be able to do the thing you don't expect them to do. You expect Derek Henry to run the football. No one can stop him. And then they do the other things, which means that you're back in the game. You're thinking, hang on, we don't know what they're going to do this at any moment. And that's the secret weapon is you don't know how good this Titans team is. And I think that's what the Chiefs are going to have to do is be prepared that Tannehill might light it up at any point. He can do. Maybe he could he could do that in the game. But also... I don't know, you just have to stack the box and hope Derek Henry doesn't um, have an absolute cannon on him. Uh, the uh, Henry stiff arm on Earl Thomas was, was oh. a beauty, wasn't it? And particularly because Earl Thomas had, uh, before the game, suggested that, I think he was alluding to the Patriots the week before and saying, uh, yeah, they were really tackling, they don't really know how to, it's going to be very different against us. <laughs> and Henry, apparently, <laughs> after he stiff armed it, and you haven't, uh, if you didn't watch all of the game, haven't seen, uh, will probably be in the highlights, I think, but uh, he, uh, Henry stiff-armed Earl Thomas and then, as someone pointed out, basically used him as a blocker for about, for about, <laughs> ten, for about <laughs> 10 yards, just ran up the field with him. And afterwards, apparently, they asked him, the press, one of the press asked him afterwards, Henry, and he, he said, what did he say to Earl Thomas after that? And apparently, Derek Henry said, good to see you, man. Hopefully, we can do this again. <laughs> <laughs> That's glorious. He did or not, but he said that in the press, so I thought that was genius. I'd love it if the fact that the Titans could just sign Earl Thomas to be just on uh, Derek Henry's back so he can uh, run <laughs> along with him, barging through Chiefs players. Oh, um, it, it, it was, he's just, you know, incredible. And, and the Titans are the team that I don't think many people expected them to be in this position. Mike Vrabel's done a, a, a monumental 
job um, to, to turn their fortunes around. Uh, let's not forget Mariota was the number one quarterback to start the season. Mm. Tannehill was doing exactly the job he's supposed to. And they know that they've got a running back who over the regular season got 1,540 yards. I mean, they run the football. They, they have some fantastic pass rushes as well. It is going to be a, a very, very juicy game. And, but part of me is a little bit disappointed for Lamar Jackson because you look at the numbers he put up in that game. Mm. Uh, those are sort of numbers apart from the t- uh, two interceptions, but those are numbers that, that would suggest that you should be winning the game. I mean, he, he's a phenomenal talent, but just couldn't do any more than they could, especially when um, Ingram went out of the game injured. Well, and also on that note, individual game, and Ingram is a great shot. That's a really good point that I think that was a big factor in, in why they didn't get the offense going in, in the normal way. It's a really, really good point. The final line on this one, I think, should go to Jackson because the Ravens are, and uh, Adam Schefter was reporting this as well uh, overnight that they're going to keep pretty much all of this team together. Uh, over the course of uh, the off-season. So they're going to be back there or thereabouts again. And it's a young team that has played brilliantly for, for the season and uh, none more so than Lamar Jackson becoming the first player to throw for 3,000 yards and rush for 1,000 yards in the same season. Yeah. He, all of those idiots who say, oh, I'm still not sure whether he can throw. He <laughs> led the NFL with 36 touchdown passes. All right? So yeah. we put that to bed right now. Great and, point Greg Brady made, Tom, on, yeah. on the broadcast last night. The big concern, obviously, is Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. And I don't mean let's not get carried away or let's get carried away because he's lost two back-to-back playoff games in the manner that he has. And, oh, I don't know if he can do it. But I do think that's the kind of thing that's going to start playing on a young quarterback's mind. As Greg said, if he loses another one, one and out next year, then it starts to become a thing and everybody bloody talks about it. And then it could be self-perpetuating. But, uh, yes, and and Greg, I wouldn't, begin to suggest that Greg's wrong in any way, Mr. Brady. Uh, but I will say this is um, uh, it, it, those stats and records are there to be broken. And the fact that I think for me personally, the Ravens had kind of uh, switched off from week 16 um, and, and they had a long wait to really get ready um, for this one. And I, th- I think part of it was a little bit complacent um, from them. However, I, I think the Titans were rolling the, the first sixth seed, um, the first time since 2010 uh, that they have, they have gone on to, to, to win this uh, game. And the last time a team did that was the Green Bay Packers, who won four games to end up winning the Super Bowl. So don't write the Titans off. I think they were rolling, unlike the, the Ravens. And, and that isn't going to affect Lamar Jackson. He'll come back stronger um, next year. We are going to preview the championship games, of course, on our Friday episode. Uh, and I'm sure I and Michael have one or two things to say about them as well. Uh, that drops on Wednesday. The deep dive with I, Mike. Uh, Neil Reynolds in the house on Friday, uh, previewing the big game. So uh, looking forward to that. But let's wrap up looking back with you, Tom Deacon, and, and the final game of the weekend. And it was a goodie as well. I mean, a very different kind of game. We kind of had it already. We had the, the one-sided dominant performance from your 49ers. You had the upset special with the Titans, the craziest game of all time with the Chiefs and the Texans. And then you had uh, a real chess match with the Packers and, and the Seahawks that once again, Russell Wilson manages to do this every single time he shoots up, keeping the Seahawks in a game that they shouldn't really be in. And the, the Packers look like they should be running away with that on a number of different occasions and phases in the game. But, the Seahawks kept clawing their way back in, but in the end, they fell short. Uh, what do you make of the Green Bay Packers' performance? Was it to you, because the way I looked at it, and if you agree with this or not, pretty representative of their season as a whole. You know, where, yeah, obviously impressive. They've beaten the Seahawks during the championship game, but it just doesn't quite add mm. up. It just doesn't quite join up. I did, I'm not looking at this team and thinking, this is a great team. You look at the 49ers, you think this is a really, yeah. really strong team. The Ravens even in defeat, the Titans in their own way, the Chiefs certainly, what we saw last night, the Packers just don't feel to be a cohesive unit. And hey, look, teams with less cohesion have gone on to win the Super Bowl, right? But at the moment, they're not convincing me. 
Yeah, it feels like, um, and I'm going to say lots of positive things about the Green Bay Packers before anyone gets on my back about the fact that I'm a Niners fan. But, um, uh, and I've said it several times on this show, um, that it's, it's not Matt LeFleur, it's Matt LeFleur. And that's kind of how (laughs) those Green Bay Packers have been this year. And maybe, and and I did actually say on this show that that the, the team that I most worry about, um, the Niners playing in the NFC Championship is the Green Bay Packers because they always, they're just that team that that feels like they've got another gear and they've held back on something and and right. never write off Aaron Rodgers and they have had that season. Um, I'm I'm looking back at some of the losses. The last one they had was oh that's funny against the Niners. Um, quite a way back it, it wasn't. They've lost between before there, but at 37-8 they lost and and actually uh, quite frankly they um they just have looked like they've just done enough. I wonder if they have that other gear and if they had the other gear and we'd seen it this season, we'd be saying, Hey, wow, those um, Packers are looking tasty. And yet I don't think they've quite hit that, 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 that thing. And now that they've lost a, another wide receiver, it's, it's going to be a, a tough game, but how good does Devonte Adams look? I mean, oh, how oh, I loved what uh, Rogers said, speaking of you, uh, echoing you earlier on, we said we'd done them. Uh, Roger said, he said he was on one tonight. <laughs> he was on one tonight, Devontae. He said he's on one tonight. I love that. Uh, he was absolutely brilliant though, Adams. And, uh, as Ollie, our producer suggested, uh, a major stud in the playoffs, says Ollie. I think that's, uh, that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, it, we know how good the, the Green Bay Packers, they're always that team that do well. It, it's whether they have the extra uh, factor and, and they did enough. Let's, let's not look at this game that they can completely owned the Seahawks. They very much got a good enough lead and held on, uh, in, in my opinion. That's how I saw the game, but let's not write off the fact that Aaron Jones has got over 20 rushing touchdowns. I think in this season, They've changed the offense a little bit to try and uh, take the pressure off Aaron Rodgers, but they're getting it done. And Aaron Rodgers is taking on the Niners, and and there's that storyline that's always been there. And when he was asked, um, you know, did the Niners uh, make a mistake, or were you disappointed they didn't draft you? He famously said, "Not as disappointed as the 49ers will be, they didn't draft me." Ooh. So um, it's it's written there. It's a it's it's a fantastic storyline, and and Aaron Rodgers is if not the best, uh, one of the best um, quarterbacks in, in the NFL. That is, as Raposco, far more cerebral than, you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Although I do, I do like, you like that, as does Richard Sherman as well. And that's going to be, uh, as we established earlier, and that's going to be an interesting battle, isn't it? Yeah. You would assume it will be Sherman against Adams. And to your point, Lazar going out, uh, that makes that a little bit more complicated for uh, for the Packers. But you got Rodgers, you got, Adams Jones as an offensive trifecta that is as dangerous as they come and if all if those three are on song it's going to be a really really interesting matchup uh, against this 49ers D and and especially the fact that the Vikings you know the Niners held Dalvin Cook to to terrible yardage and the last time they played Jamal Williams was the was the leading running back in that game but you know we know how good Aaron uh, uh, Jones is to potentially get that running game going, which would free up Aaron Rodgers to make those sort of plays to Devontae Adams. But Sherman versus Adams, I mean, that's that's a sort of wide receiver cornerback battle we we absolutely love to see. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Sherman adds another interception to his um, his hefty pile of them. I cannot wait for it. The double bill of championship games, of course, on Sunday, this coming Sunday, AFC first and NFC. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, that's the right order for them. Uh, and uh, we will know uh, this time next week who is going to be slugging it out in Miami. Super Bowl 54. We're going to be there, of course. Deeks, we're heading out to Miami. I was... Um, I'll get doing... to see the Niners as oh, well. No, Do you mean... Sorry, sorry oh. man, I mean... I mean the, sorry, that's all. Oh, okay, sorry. The show's going out. That's... Yeah, there's not enough... No, that's fine. On the, on the, on the, hey, I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. <laughs> I'll make some phone calls now. I mean, can you hear me typing? I'm emailing ESPN, top brass. To, it's fine. It's fine. I'll be, I'll be watching it in some weird location, probably another comedy gig, uh, green room. So don't you worry. <laughs> as long as Scott Kapoor is there with more stories of which other players that he met in the past that uh, doesn't actually know who they are, that would be great. Uh, I cannot wait for that. And, uh, wishing you well, Deeks. I'm sure we'll check in with you before, uh, before we, uh, head off on. Uh, the plane to Miami, of course, you've been a big part of our coverage this season, our show this season, and we really, really appreciate that. And I'm glad your 49ers are still standing at this stage of proceedings. 
Yeah, me too, Nat. And, and you know what? It's, it's so lovely to see that potentially it won't be a 49ers Ravens repeat, which I was dreading oh, uh, in yeah. the Super Bowl. So, um, do you know what? And the best thing is, um, uh, the halftime entertainment is going to be unreal this year. Shakira and JLo. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you very Shakira much. <laughs> hey, you know, before we let you go, one thing I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. The new Dallas Cowboys head coach. Yeah, of course. You know, it's not the clapper. What, 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 you know, he's gone, Jason Garrett. So now you've got a new head coach, someone that will take orders from Jerry Jones. Did, did I just say that? With, with surprised it. they've gone to, you know, somebody who's, primary experience has been in in the Premier League at the Championship and, and international football as uh, opposed to the NFL <laughs> uh, good old Mick McCarthy yeah well obviously he's got a great track record at the Republic of Ireland and he's going to be telling Jerry Jones what for uh, that will be happening and I cannot wait to see it <laughs> the idea of Mick McCarthy and Jerry Jones <laughs> talking football it's too hot great. up here it's too hot in Dallas <laughs> it's too hot <laughs> Can I just check, uh, Coach McCarthy, why have we got six tight ends on the field? Yeah, well, because um, they're bigger uh, than the running backs and we need we need them. Uh, that's what we need. And and they can block as well and catch, if I, I say so. I promise you in the off-season we're going to devote a whole episode to that. <laughs> we're going to role-play a whole episode of Mick McCarthy in the NFL. Uh, great stuff, Deeks. We'll check in with you soon, bud. Absolute pleasure and take care, everyone. Lovely stuff from Deeks. As I say, we're going to be previewing the championship games this weekend. Cannot wait for that. That's the Friday show. Uh, but we're going to turn our attention now to college football and a college championship preview from none other than Mr. Ben Isaacs. The college football playoff final is at 1am tonight and it should be the best game of the season. You've got the two best quarterbacks in the nation in Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. That might be this year's first overall draft pick and next year's with Trevor Lawrence. If you look at the quarterbacks, Lawrence is the better runner. He hasn't had to show it in the regular season, but he was key. It was key to beating Ohio State in the classic semifinal a couple of weeks ago. Joe Burrow, of course, won the Heisman. Unless you have games where they do plan to run Burrow, and it seems that when they, when he does run, it seems that it's planned out from the beginning that this is going to be one of those games. And how Clemson defend Burrow will probably decide the game because no one has really defended him all season. His numbers have been incredible. He's great at getting the ball out quickly when teams send pressure. But on the flip side, if you go back and watch any game where a defense just packs the secondary against him. He ends up with so much time, he'll find a target anyway. He may end this game having had the most accurate season in college football history. He's he's on pace for it. Under pressure, he's thrown 19 touchdowns this year. So just, just think about that. Even when people are in his face, he's thrown 19 touchdowns. His completion percentage is nearly 74%. So you can draw your own conclusions on his accuracy. And I don't think that stat percent, you shouldn't think that stat percentage is padded by lots of short passes that are almost like handoffs. He's incredibly accurate on intermediate and long passes too. You're going to see him go deep a lot and you'll see him complete deep a lot. Now, Clemson's front four this season isn't what it was last year, thanks to players entering the NFL. But the linebackers and DBs are an area of strength though. So they should lean on that and try to get everyone well covered because I think that's going to provide more success for Clemson than just trying to rush Burrow because that just doesn't seem to work. I think the Clemson defense just has to slow the game down. They can't expect to shut down Burrow and and this offense, but they can limit possessions. If they can play great red zone defense like they did against Ohio State and put together time-consuming drives of their own, then they will have the advantage. The hardest game LSU had all year was against Auburn back in October. And that was how Auburn kept it close. LSU won that one 23-20, though. So even when you do control the clock and you do have good reds on defense, it doesn't mean you're going to beat them. LSU's defense will likely play deep against Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Those are Clemson's most dangerous receivers. But if they do that, then they will leave themselves open to running back Travis Etienne, making big plays and, again, eating up the clock. Now, Travis Etienne has had a fantastic season for Clemson, and he he was not so much of a factor towards the end of the season, but he'll probably end the game as Clemson's all-time leading rusher. He's probably going to go in the second round if you're thinking about um, the draft. I think he is the key player for Clemson. If he has a good game, then it means Trevor Lawrence isn't having to do absolutely everything, and it will mean that they are keeping the LSU offense off the field. Um, 
Clemson's got the best offensive line um, out of these two teams, but both are elite level. Just thinking about the coaches, Dabo Sweeney used to get upset when people used the phrase Clemsoning. Now, if you're quite new to college football and you've only followed it in the last few years, then you won't know that that actually meant to underachieve and mess things up when it, in a good position because now he's got Clemson on the verge of being a true dynasty. Opposite him is Ed Orgeron. Um, he recruited The Rock when he was a defensive line coach at the University of Miami, believe it or not. He ended up becoming head coach at Ole Miss and he didn't win more than four games in a season. It wasn't a success. He was briefly the top man at USC, but the job he always wanted was LSU. He is the most LSU person you can imagine. If you hear him speak, that's how you imagine a crazy football coach from Louisiana to talk. And that's, that's how he talks. And I think that has kind of um, counted against him in the eyes of people. They thought that he couldn't be as shrewd and as smart as some of the other coaches um, like Nick Saban. People thought he wasn't up to it because of the old Miss record. So this is real vindication for him, even if they don't beat Clemson. And they're favorites to do that. Even if they don't beat Clemson, he's proven he can be a top-level coach. I think the game should be fantastic. I think it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a super high-scoring game, but it is obviously a must-watch. And one of the things I like about the college championship game is the ESPN Megacast. And if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's, it's when ESPN offer loads and loads of different camera angles that you can choose. So you can see the all 22, which is the camera angle that coaches use when they're, um, when they're seeing what did and didn't work after a game. Pylon cameras. They can have all this VR stuff going on. But one of my favorite things as well is all the little things that they do where you can have, they've got a ref cast. So you can see what the referees are saying through the entire game. My favorite is the coach's film room. Now, if you love the X's and O's of the game, watch the mega cast, go on the coach's film room option. And instead of just getting the normal commentary, you're going to get top level um, college coaches dissecting the game every single play and you'll see they're trying to outdo each other predict what's going to come next so some of these guys are kind of legit geniuses so that's pretty fascinating so join me stay up till 1am be an absolute disaster in your job on tuesday morning but you just watch the game like the way that is dropped in drop in the wisdom and the smarts like a little capsule into the pod. Great stuff from Ben. He'll be back to talk about it all on Wednesday and see how it played out. ESPN Player is where you watch that tonight, so get involved with that if you haven't already, and enjoy. We're back Wednesday with I, Mike, for the deep dive. See you then. Bye for now. Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.